Hello and welcome to Hardware Intel, the podcast from UAP exploring how hardware can help shape our future. Schools, hospitals, hotels, touch products will come in or uh, antibacterial type products. So I think that will be where the landscape will, will change. From households to large-scale industrial, we'll be discussing a wide range of topics with expert insight from within the building industry and thoughtful opinions about how hardware is advancing communities all around the world. People are really adaptable. We saw it when we went into into lockdown, that kind of British spirit and, and this is what we've got to do. So uh, I think that that's it's certainly shown that people are, are massively adaptable. I'm Cyan Astley, a TV presenter and property expert, and I'm fascinated by the impact that good hardware solutions can have on all of our lives. In today's episode, we're talking about using smart hardware in a post-COVID world. Joining me are David Jennings, CEO of UAP, and Barry Halpin, who's one of the UAP sales directors. Welcome to Hardware Intel. Good morning. Thanks for having us. So tell us a little bit about yourself, David. What first got you into the industry? Started with university, left university, went into the corporate world, didn't like the corporate world particularly. Uh, left there, went into my own business, eventually got involved with uh, hardware in about 1995 uh, with a door knocker, which was our very first uh, product that we um, we launched. And uh, we've then grown a uh, quite a successful company on the uh, on the back of that. And I think we've done that with a good range of people. And we also wanted to set up a business, it, the type of business that I would have wanted to work with or work for when I was in the corporate world. Um, and I think we've managed to do that now. 25 years on, we uh, multi-million pound uh, turnover, um, great profit levels and a great level of staff. I think we employ about 75 people now. So how did it all get started? Why hardware in the first place? I was introduced to it, actually. I, uh, the, the true story is I'd lent some money to um, a friend of mine and um, I didn't hear from him for a while. And I had a letter from the insolvency service saying, oh, the, you know, you you're one of his creditors. And I thought, oh, okay, we went to see him. So what do you do? And he told me, I said, he was making um, uh, hardware. So he will never make money. What are you doing now? I said, I'm bankrupt. I haven't got a, haven't got a job. I said, I'll tell you what, from Monday, you can uh, come and work for me and uh, I'm going to go into the hardware business. And that's what we did. And the first products we imported were from India and they were uh, simple door knockers. And then today we've, we've gone into all sorts of uh, manner of uh, products, about 5,000 products in our portfolio now. Did you just see that the business wasn't being done how you would do it? Going back, there was, I mean, if you, let's take a standard product. I mean, I always believe in listening to what your customers want and then trying to develop products for customers at an affordable price. So going back in the day, um, there was only one colour, it was brass. And if you wanted to have a hole, you'd have to take it to an engineering shop. And I just thought all those processes were ridiculous. So we would brought in ready-made products straight off the shelf. And it's exactly what the customer wanted. We didn't have to incur all the on costs, and so we were there for a competitive as well. And that's how we started, and we, we followed that philosophy all the way through. And 25 years later, here you are with a very successful business. So how did you get involved, Barry? I've been in the industry for just over 20 years now, so I started work originally uh, in telesales for one of our competitors and customers, I suppose, as well now. Stayed there for five years, learning about the industry, understanding how the products work, who the type of customers were. Then moved into an external role, worked for a couple of customers, again, some of our competitors, learning about the industry, learning about competitors' products. Ended up at UAP nearly eight years ago now as um, as an ASM, working just in the north and covering accounts for UAP. The business has grown 
exponentially since that point and the number of people working for the company is is probably fivefold compared to where it was when when I first started and the turnover has gone through the roof thanks to the people that work at UAP so we're quite specialist in what we do as well so it's uh, it's it's a strong area for us in terms of the type of products that we deal with constantly on a day-to-day basis but we also span all different areas within the, the fenestration industry as well so uh, yeah eight years later and uh, looking forward to another eight years hopefully. And now we've got to know the guys. We're going to talk about COVID and how that has affected their industry. I'm firstly going to ask this to David, but I do want to get your thoughts on it as well, Barry. In this weird world that we now live in, what effect will COVID have on the hardware and door industry? Um, I think it first of all depends which sector of the market you're looking at. Because the market breaks down into different uh, parts. There's the retail market, uh, which also encumbers new build. There is the AI market, which is uh, architectural ironmongery, which goes into offices and hospitals and schools. And it depends which part of the market you are looking at. I think in the domestic market, I don't think there's going to be a massive immediate change to product specification i know there is on demand i know that's something that's quite close to barry's heart but if you are a householder i don't think you're going to go and spend a thousand pounds on a uh, an electronic door just for the convenience of using a smartphone um you may do if you're going to change your windows anyway or if you're buying a new uh, a new house but so i don't think the demand is going to be particularly affected because of covid i think though in the architectural ironmongery market so in schools hospitals um hotels I think where you don't control your own environment, I think that will change and there will be much more uh, control over access control will come in, electronic uh, will come in and certainly anti-touch uh, products will come in or uh, antibacterial type products. So I think that will be where the landscape will, will change uh, considerably. And Barry, are you seeing those changes already? Yeah, we are. I mean, COVID had, a, had a, an effect on the market that we didn't foresee to be honest and we're still trying to, to sort of keep up with demand and, and that demand has come from uh, a particular sector as, as David mentioned there's a, there's a certain sector retail trade and domestic that wasn't particularly strong prior to, to COVID and what I think well we think what's happened is that there's been no summer holidays this year so anybody that's had any money saved up um, and that are lucky enough to have obviously kept their job through furlough or through or just been able to keep their job because the company's run well have had a summer holiday fund that has gone into home improvements so we've seen you know the, the amount of people white van man that's been just absolutely run ragged because we want a new door here or we want two new windows here because we've got this pot of money that we didn't expect to have so the retail trade and domestic market has been absolutely booming and continues to boom i've never known companies with extended lead times of around six weeks for a retail product is that's unheard of before covid so the effect that covid's had on the market is that that particular sector has just absolutely exploded and doesn't look like slowing down anytime soon, really. You touched on this in your last answer, David, but what actually is smart technology and what are the benefits of it? Um, smart technology is, is the use of um, uh, smartphones that interact with hardware, uh, so or the internet that will uh, interact with hardware. It's been used for a long time for access control in uh, places like airports or hotels and offices, and even in you know, particularly uh, schools, um, where um, you'll have to use some form of smart card or a smartphone to actually get access to a particular lock. And then uh, people can then uh, interrogate who's been into a particular uh, room. Going forwards, it's going more mainstream. So there is a, a move towards the mainstream. So where you will start seeing it in domestic properties. And it's a slow build, but it, but it, it is a continual build. 
particularly with things like Airbnb, um, where people control access into their own properties from a remote location. Um, you don't have to have physical keys. You can have smart keys. You can have uh, digital keys. So that is technically what a smart technology is. And the benefit of it is the fact you don't really have to have keys and you can give people access control. So if you're at home, you could, for example, let your cleaner or the builders in between 9 o'clock and uh, 10 o'clock. And then after that, the, the keys won't work. Or if somebody is unexpectedly turned up at your house, you could let them into your, into your property if you wanted to. And were you ahead of that anyway, despite what had happened recently? We um, are launching our range of uh, electronic uh, hardware. There has been uh, products uh, in the market for some time. What we did, though, is we didn't want to jump into the market uh, and just come out with a Me Too product because I don't think there's any interest in that. We did a research uh, project with the Manchester University um, and we did a horizon planning project with them where we talked to their engineers and their marketeers as to how they see the, um, uh, the world changing. And luckily in Manchester, we have the smart city. And so we were able to, uh, to utilize some of that knowledge. And our technology uh, is based upon that. And that will be launched in about January or February. But it's taken us two years to get to this point. And how will that launch work, Barry? Well, we actually did, um, we've got a, uh, we did a demo of the product down at the MLA show in Telford last year. So we, we got sort of live feedback from customers on one of our kind of prototypes if you like it was a fully working fully working lock and we didn't want to launch a product that we think is right we want to launch a product that people were giving us feedback on based on their knowledge of locks and and what they want and what they want how they want to use these products so we we had a demo uh, down at the MLA we got a lot of good feedback so we then fed the information back into into our suppliers and our designers as to what we want the lock to look like as David said we could have launched this this year but decided to just hang fire and make sure everything's 100% right and, and is, is is what the market's looking for. So first quarter of 2021 is when we're anticipating launching the products. We know that the market is a growing market. It's not massive at the minute, which means that we haven't had to rush into it. So yeah, we think we'll be launching at the right time. My next question is actually whether you've seen a significant surge in the use of smart door hardware. And actually, do you see that continuing even if COVID goes away? I still think so. I, th- I think every single market that you look at nowadays is looking more, there's more technical, technological advances within the marketplace. So everything is moving towards that um, kind of electronic access. So there's no reason for us to think that it's ever going to, to die away or shrink. And COVID, as much as COVID will have had an effect on it, I don't think it will be a lasting effect. And I think it will just have an effect on the types and the functionality of some of the products, but not all of the products. You mentioned about the way Airbnb security works earlier and mobile phone connectivity. So what changes are there to keep buildings secure? Uh, security on smart technology is a huge problem. Um, as a business, we've been involved in um, vehicle security for some, uh, for some time and we, we develop products to get into cars, uh, which we ship uh, worldwide. So we have some knowledge uh, about uh, the technology uh, behind uh, getting into electronic uh, cars. So particularly if you've got, a, for example, a proximity key on your vehicle, uh, some Mercedes, BMW, whatever, and you walk up to the car and the car opens, that's a huge security problem because that key is always giving out a code and then all you need is a reader and you can then read the code and you just get into the car. The car doesn't know. So going into this, you need to be very, very careful there's other problems that you have with smart technology. 
I often hear people talk to me about, well, you know, about Alexa and um, Siri, etc. But you have things called masquerading, where people can masquerade your voice. They could stand outside a building and they can mimic your voice. And Alexa will not understand that that is not your voice. That's a technique called uh, masquerading. So that you've got to be very, very careful what type of uh, uh, technology you put into a smart lock. I think there's also a difference between a vehicle and your home. If you lose your car, you lose your car. It's insured. It doesn't matter. No one's affected. When you're at home, if someone gets into your home, that is a totally different thing. And it's about your security, your children's security, your family's security. And you don't want that. So the security levels need to be far, far higher on a, uh, a smart lock than they do on a vehicle. Uh, so there are lots of advantages, but there's many, many, many major problems. And when we come out, we will not be going down the biometrics route um, just because of the problems I've just uh, talked to you about. So what route will you be going down? Um, we think that uh, in terms of uh, coding, our solution will be based on what's called a rolling code. So our uh, transponder will have uh, preloaded with up to about 2 million codes and the key will only ever use that code once and then it will delete that from its system and then it will use the other, the other codes in, in the record. We'll be back after the break to talk more about the hardware door industry in a post-Covid world. So welcome back David and welcome back Barry. Moving on a little bit from smart technology, antibacterial products have become so important this year. What advances in door hardware have you seen post-Covid with antibacterial products? Um, antibac products have been around for a long, long time, but their use has been sort of in and out. And they, become, they go in phases. So if you go back maybe 10 years ago when MRSA was a, um, a major problem in hospitals, there was a massive uh, trend towards uh, people wanted to have copper. I mean, copper is a fantastic product. It's a great product for, for killing uh, bacterias. Um, the problem with copper is that you've got to maintain, you've got to polish it all the time. And that's a major problem and people just won't do it, particularly in a hospital setting. But that's a great product. But that went out and, and that went away very quickly and it went to nothing. We've seen recently there's been a, a, another upsurge in demand for antibac type products. So copper has come back to the fore. We've been seeing uh, people with wrap rounds on handles or uh, handles themselves with coatings. The problem with a lot of these things is that you, you need to keep on recoating. People, again, believe they buy this product, they buy it once, and that's it. They don't have to do anything. A lot of these uh, antibac products, you've got to keep on maintaining them and you've got to keep on putting back the antibacterial by recoating them. And people forget that. But there is a demand now, a big shift. And I've seen it in, in hotels recently who are looking at antibac products as well, whereas it used to be in the domain of hospitals. So uh, certainly hotels and schools have come in that fore recently. So do we need to retrain humans then to be able to clean copper handles properly? Oh, wouldn't that be good? The fact is, is that people won't, they just don't do it. I mean, no matter how many uh, instructions that we put uh, and how many times we tell people, how many videos we put on our, on our websites, people still do not maintain their products. I mean, when was the last time you put oil in your lock? You know, you should do it every six months, certainly before winter and after winter, you, you know, but people really don't get in and do that, unfortunately. So could that be one of your sales policies then, Barry, when you're selling these beautiful copper handles that they've got to, they've got to sign a contract to clean them every three months? 
Oh, that'd be brilliant. Sian, if you, if you could get people to sign that contract to make sure they clean things every every six months, then yeah, we're laughing. But we we sell a lot of stainless steel furniture. So we sell a lot of um, SS three one six marine grade stainless steel furniture. But we try and educate customers that it's it's stainless. It's not stain free. So you have to keep up to a certain level of maintenance on that product. We issue as many maintenance guides that you you can think of. But the amount of times when we we get product back, and bear in mind we sell hundreds of the thousands of these products a year we do get the odd product that will come back with pitting or rusting and it's because they haven't kept up to the maintenance guide of that particular product it, it, what happens on a, on a stainless steel and, and again we can use this knowledge to look at anti-back products in the future in the way that products react to the environments that they're in so we got some guys down from Edinburgh uh, and they taught us about stainless steel furniture this was about six years ago I think something like that six or seven years ago they taught us about the it was what's called tea staining. So it's actually particulates in the air that sit on the furniture itself and that, that are rusting. So these can be cleaned off and then it will take it back to the stainless steel finish that it should be. But when you try to educate customers about this, they'll listen to you and they understand what you're saying. But then for them to actually then educate their customers is a whole different ball game. So yeah, in an ideal world, if we got customers to keep up to the maintenance on our products, my life would be so much easier. So it's a little bit old school, isn't it, for people to have that care for products? People are in a busy world. You know, As much as it would take you two minutes to do that, it just doesn't get done. Does the style of door impact how safe it is for customers, whether it's um, anti-back or, or the level of security? Um, I don't think the particular styles of doors would have a bearing. There'd be different types of materials and different makeup of doors will, will have a bearing on security. Um, there's, there's various different products that are in the market, ranging from... PVC up to composite up to timber and aluminium doors to a certain extent so we're already seeing the market change really away from a PVC door and the majority of the market is moving towards composite and then you have a higher end again of, of timber and aluminium so I don't see that the different styles of doors will be affected but there is certainly a move towards composite and I think that's a, a lot of it is is price driven the difference between a composite door and a PVC door used to be quite a vast difference whereas now that that difference has shrunk are people moving more towards composites because they're easier to maintain over timber because you're not having to paint them every few years oh definitely i mean the uh, the, the old style pvc's door you, as barry quite rightly says is, is declining and the breadth of design now of uh, the composite door is huge and in timber as well, and particularly when uh, nowadays you will have uh, CNC routers, so there's all sorts of designs you can now easily scribe into doors. So yeah, the range is vast. So there is a big move over from um, PVC. I mean, you'll still see PVC on back doors and maybe French doors and those type of things, which is sort of the traditional way. But on your front door, I think that you know, that, that move is massive over to, uh, to composite and uh, timber. And then you go into the AI markets and uh, there's a move um, uh, to maintain that into timber, which is more sort of a stable product and particularly for fire uh, resistance of timber. There are fire resistant composites, but timber seems to be the most robust at the moment in time. So how easy is it to change the locks on a composite door, say over a timber door? I think if anything, it's probably easier on a composite than it is on a timber. Um, A lot of slab by a slab I just mean the door leaf itself they're all set 44 mil styled size doors all of our 
uh, products and all of our competitors' products will all know that there is certain certain sizes of composite doors that will that will that are made and that run through everybody's factories. So, yeah, it's very very simple to interchange products, change products round, to swap out products, to use somebody else's products. It's very very straightforward now. There would have been an outlined future with technological advances within the industry. So, how have those changed with COVID? Well, I think um, I think we said earlier with regards to the electronic side, what, what we were originally looking at is a ten-year rollout on uh, electronics before it became mainstream. And the the logic behind that was that there is a lot of um, uh, elderly people in the UK who are unlikely to adopt uh, technology very uh, very well. However. COVID has changed that to a degree because what they've done is they have um, started to utilise technology. So they've had to go on uh, online, they've had to go and use these apps, they have to go and uh, scan if they go into a, rest- into a restaurant or a, or a cafe. So they're getting more uh, computer savvy. And as a result of that, their fear of, um, of technology is, is a, lot, a, lot, a lot less. And so they will adopt the, uh, the technology of electronics a lot quicker than we originally forecast. Albeit we still see that it will be a few years uh, away before it becomes mainstream. Because as I said earlier, people are not going to go out and uh, buy a front door just for the sheer use of, uh, of having a touch key or a smartphone to actually open that door. But I do think the advance in the uh, antibacterial side I touched on before that MRSA led to a sort of demand for copper and then it died away quite quickly. I think this time it will be around for a long time because I think people now turn around and say, well, you know, we're going to have to live with COVID. COVID ain't going away. None of the pandemics have, have gone away. You want to talk about bubonic plague? It came back in Mongolia in July. SARS, smallpox, they're all around today. We've not eradicated any of them. We just, because, we just as a society have learned to live with it. Flu is another one. And COVID will be yet another that we'll just learn to live with. So I think what part of living with that will be that your home environment, you will have as a safe space. So you'll go home, you'll, you'll wash your hands, you'll be more hygienic probably, and you'll be fine. When you go out into uh, public sectors, hotels, restaurants, bars, your office, that's when you will start seeing a totally different animal with regards to uh, touch-free uh, products. You'll see a lot less doors, I would have thought. So, you know, in public uh, conveniences nowadays, you don't have doors. That's been going on for a few years. So you don't have to touch things. And I think that's where the, the big growth will come, in my own opinion. It's fascinating, isn't it, that COVID is helping the older generation to kind of overcome their fear of technology. Are you seeing that on the sales side as well, Barry? They are doing. Um, I think the they don't really have a choice but to adapt, really. I think that it's, it's so, technology is so all-consuming, really, now with, with everything. I booked a holiday with my for my mum and dad the other day, and they, we we were sat uh, having a meal, and we booked a, a, the booked their holiday from my phone. But it wasn't me doing it this time; they actually did it themselves, booking it from my phone. So they they have to adapt to that, and if that means and they 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 live in a in, in a in a block of flats, so they use touchscreen entry to get into their into their doors. So they're already adapting to the way that they that they see the world and how they operate in terms of technology. So that will only continue to grow. Um, I think, the, the again, there's, there's two different sectors. There's retail and there's, and there's commercial. Commercial will see that growing even more and there'll be a lot of self-opening doors and you know um, movement sensors that will open doors without the need for touching anything. Um, a lot of the sort of pers- the, the public sector, if you like, 
they will have a lot of key fob access and again the the need not to touch anything just to open their doors so yeah i think they will they will have to adapt because that's just the way that the industry is going that's the way that the world is going i suppose as consumers, we're really thinking more about what we're doing or what we're touching when we're out in public. And I guess that's not really happened before, has it? No, it hasn't. And But it, that's the world we're in now. People are really adaptable. It was, we saw it when we went into, into lockdown, the way that people um, adapted to that situation. You couldn't believe that everybody would be able to adapt so quickly and move to a new way of working and move to a new way of, of living because that's what they had to do. So people that kind of British spirit and, and this is what we've got to do. So uh, I think that that's it's certainly shown that people are, are massively adaptable, yeah. As a business, do you then have to amend your strategies going forward? Yeah, we, we uh, as I said earlier on, we, we talk to customers, we talk to uh, industry leaders, we, uh, we talk to the uh, public, we, we talk to a lot of people to try and get feedback as to where we need to develop uh, products or what type of things they want to see in the products that we develop so we are uh, uh, developing uh, anti-back keys at the moment in time for example which will be launching fairly uh, fairly shortly they're just being tested at the moment in uh, Glasgow uh, for feline coronavirus and um, to see how long that will last on the uh, on the surface so there's there's lots of little things that we can actually introduce into our products uh, just by talking to people and the, the advances is going to be huge over the next few years You've just touched on the project in Glasgow that you have going on. So what else is planned for the future at UAP? Uh, well, we touched on before that we are um, launching a very significant uh, electronic door solution. And I think that's going to be quite a, a clever solution for people. We also want to uh, then develop a retrofit um, solution, which we are uh, looking at at the moment in time. And so you might have a door which you might have fitted last year. You want to make that um, electronic. Uh, but you don't want to buy a new door, it might cost you £1,000, so you don't want to do that. So we want to come out with a relatively cost-effective way of making your door electronic. So that will be out within the next uh, 18 months uh, as a solution. We're also looking at other areas at the moment in time as well. Uh, we, we launched fairly recently a healthcare range. And I know there's a lot of healthcare products on, on the market, but going back to uh, February, um, when we, we were involved with uh, coronavirus very early on because of our, our contacts in, in China, so we knew about it around about Chinese New Year, we were shipping uh, face masks from here to China to, because they didn't have any. And then when we knew that our customers needed to get back to market, but they needed to get back to market safely, we introduced products very quickly that uh, enabled them to do that, that we tested. And uh, that went really, really well. And then developed our UAP healthcare range, which we're just about to uh, uh, grow uh, further. We're just taking a couple of specialist people on to actually uh, promote that range. So there's quite a lot that we are involved with to also try and grow ourselves within the hardware industry, but also with some extra uh, allied products as well. So does that make your job all the more easy then, Barry, that your company is so innovative and forward-thinking? Well, I probably shouldn't ask you that in front of the boss. <laughs> yeah, just can you just cut David's video? <laughs> um, the, the one thing that UAP has been over the, over the eight years is very uh, receptive to change and it always listens to not only the customers, we listen to the customers a lot of the time and we do, we do a lot of bespoke products. We also listen to the market and, 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 and regulation changes as well. You know, we had a, we've had a huge change in, in regulations over the, over the eight years I've, I've been there. 
and we're very adaptable and we always seem to be one step ahead of the curve when it comes to regulation changes so we, we we've launched a, a product recently ts 8 which is a it's a let, just a letter play, a letterbox but the the market has changed so much in even the space of five years that people have gone from being able to spend three pound on a letter plate for instance to have to spend 10 times that amount now for a, for a letter plate if you'd have gone back six years and said that people would be doing that you wouldn't have believed it but because regulations have changed that is the norm now we were one of the first ones onto the market with a ts 8 letter plate we're one of the first ones onto the market with a three-star cylinder so we've always seemed to be in the right place at the right time but that's because we know the industry and we know we kind of we know what the customers are looking for um, but we also know or we also think we know what the future possibly holds when it comes to changes or tweaks to products so it's a really good company to work for and it covers so many different areas within the fenestration industry that we can only get stronger well thank you so much both of you david and barry for sharing your thoughts and experiences on how your industry is really changing in this kind of post-covid world so i'm cyan astley and we'll be back again next time with another episode of the hardware intel podcast with uap don't forget to subscribe with your podcast provider and we'll see you next time